got questions. We've got all the answers when it comes to sex and more. This is the A to Z of sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Every week, we pick a series of topics that you've been wanting to know about. It's an encyclopedia of sex, intimacy, relationships, and so much more than that. Let's get things started. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the A to Z of sex with me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a sex and intimacy coach and a psychologist, and I've spent the last 30 plus years helping people to create hot and healthy sexual and intimate relationships. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. So today the letter is C, and C is for conscious sex. Joining me today to talk all about conscious sex is Patty. She's a butch leather dyke living in Toronto, Canada, and has been involved in the leather community long enough to see herself through several incarnations and take a few trips around the kinky block. She's honored to hold the titles of International Ms. Leather 2014, Ms. Leather Toronto 2014, and Ms. Northbound Leather 2013. She presents workshops on mummification and spanking and regularly hosts experiential novice nights. With 20 years in mental health services as a therapist, supervisor, and educator, she's passionate about developing the capacity of community members to better understand and respond to those in distress. In response, she's co-developed and regularly presents workshops on suicide and mental health first aid for the puppy and kink leather communities. When she's not raising funds for her charity, Rainbow Railroad, she plays hard as she works and is a huge fan of dangerous things wrapped in pretty packages. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for asking me. Conscious sex. Yeah. I know. So let's start with a definition. What, how would you define conscious sex? Well, um, I think before I even talk about conscious sex, it's like, well, what does it mean to be conscious? Yes. And what is it? And I think it comes down to um, a couple of things. One is, is awareness. I think part of it is um, freedom. And what I mean by freedom is the ability to say yes, the ability to say no, uh, to not be coerced into things, um, the ability, you know, and the and capacity, the ability to understand consequences, understand risks, understand benefits. Um, and I would say this, this consciousness is, that's something I would apply to ideally all aspects of life, whether it's about spirituality, whether it's about sex, whether it's about, career choices, relationship choices. So for me, you know, that's foundational. And then when we apply that to sex, it, it means that ability to understand what's happening, to say yes, to say no, to consent, um, and to have enough space to be thoughtful about things. So I love that definition. And, and I think, um, you know, agency is such an important part of this that often gets missed. So we get lots of talk about capacity, but not necessarily talk about the, the, the conceptual freedom to be able to make those choices. Um, and a lot of people have the capacity, but just don't have that freedom. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And they don't have that freedom for everything reason under the sun from like, I don't feel like I have the freedom because of, I have financial ties to a situation that I can't say yes or say no to all the way through to like asking questions of like, 
do I have the capacity to consent in a, you know, androcentric, heteropatriarchal, colonialist, racist society? Like, then we get way out there about these questions. Well, yeah. And I mean, we're going to talk about this on a number of levels. And so, um, you know, because one of the levels we both find interesting is this idea that, um that making conscious choices about sex and some of the kinds of choices that we make about sex are actually quite subversive politically. Absolutely. Even the current state of affairs and that, um, you know, often people think of this as a, just only a personal statement, but actually it's never just personal. If you're public with it, it's not just personal. If you can be seen, it's not just personal. Well, yeah, and I would even say even what isn't seen, the choices we make when it isn't seen is just like as political because it's it's going to ripple out at some point, like right. what we're even doing in the privacy of our own spaces has implications, um, especially when you know as a as a as a self-identified dyke. Um, I think about the spaces where in the world where just for having queer sex, one can be arrested and in, in a number of countries still executed. So yes. personal is political. I could, I could be consenting. I can be in my own private sphere. It cannot be public. And if someone can still break my door down and arrest me, charge me and kill me and I'm being, and I'm being regulated, then the personal very much is is political. Absolutely. And I mean, and it's, it's, it goes from, well, you know, it sounds so funny to say ordinary queer sex, but when we look at the kinds of things that we like to do, there's this continuum, right? I mean, we like to do some way out stuff that you can have a better understanding why someone might want to regulate it though. I don't think they have any right to do so, but you can have a better understanding why somebody might say, yeah, you know, Letting somebody hit you is not the greatest idea, and, and we can have discussions about that. Mm-hmm. But we're talking about, you know, just our ability just to have sexual interaction with none of that, which can also right. get somebody killed in some cultures. Yeah, or like I'm even, I'm sort of even going back to like something, something I uttered a couple of minutes ago around freedom, freedom to be able to have conscious sex. And so I think about, um, Places in the world, <laughs> I'm actually thinking of the U.S. right now, um, where, where like things like access to birth control, affordable birth control, yeah. access to, um, you know, being able to make choices around terminating pregnancies, like not being able to, to access those kinds of things affects conscious sex. Absolutely. You, you can't choose to have, it limits your choice to have sex if you're not unable to prevent pregnancy when you want to do so. Right. And that's, that's almost a form, I would argue that's, that's a form of like cultural societal coercion. Absolutely. And things like no, no access to good information, because that's the other thing. Yeah. You, know, you can't have conscious sex if you don't have access to decent information about pleasure. Yeah. You know, a, a basic and anatomy, I'm amazed, and this is a topic that's come up a lot over the last six weeks in um, different shows that I've done, um, as to really how how limited the access is to decent information about the what I consider to be the basics. Mm-hmm. And so how can you have conscious sex if you don't even know how your own body works? Right. And there's been some absolutely fascinating, well, 
it's not fascinating to me. It's like, duh, but for a lot of people, a lot of legislators, it seems to be fascinating. Um, you know, where they, there's been, it's been shown through research that they've compared rates of things like HIV transmission, pregnancy, STI transmission among teenagers, and they've compared teenagers from countries where they have like the most comprehensive sex ed programs to countries where it's like a moderate amount to countries like they were especially like parts of the U.S. where if you do anything except abstinence only, they chop your funding. Um, and what they find is in the places where teenagers are given the most comprehensive information on everything under the sun to do with bodies and sex, there's, there's been interesting outcomes. First of all, they have the lowest pregnancy rates. Yep. They have the lowest rates of HIV and STI transmission. And they have delayed onset of first sexual experience. Like, come on, man, science. Yeah, because they actually have the information they need to be able to, first of all, first of all satisfy themselves. Right. Right? And, and, and make an educated choice about what risk they want to take. Right. And when they want to take it. Yep. And so, like, again, when I go back to this idea of conscious sex and if, if, if I lean into this, it has to be non-coercive and informed and all that kind of stuff. Like how many ways in which our ability to engage in conscious sex is compromised by, um, by these me like meta things, by these structural pieces. And then when, when we start to drill down into what would it mean to have conscious sex if we go then from this um, macro to a more meso level, like, what did our families teach us? Yes. What did our schools teach us? Yes. What does our faith tradition teach us? And then we can drill down another layer of like, in what ways is my personal lived experience assist or compromise my ability to have conscious sex based Absolutely. on like my lived, my lived experiences, my sense of shame, my sense of celebration, my personal history around trauma. Right. Like, um, it gets, uh, it gets complicated, but we'll go with complicated. Yeah, no, it is messy, and it's not, I mean, people think this is an easy thing when we talk about, and I hear people talk about this all the time. It's like, oh, yes, and, and I'm like, yeah, have you thought this through, actually, that, that actually that when you do manage to do this, it requires you actually looking at all these things. Yeah. It requires you knowing, having information and being able to reflect and being able to consider and sometimes going away and doing some, some therapeutic work in order to clear stuff and, um, and to be able to make those kinds of choices. And, um, and a lot of times people just think, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm being, if I'm mindful, and I'm going to use the term in quotes, if I'm mindful, that's conscious sex. And I'm sort of like, well, no. So we're a couple minutes from break. Um, when we come back, we're going to talk about um, what it actually looks like to make these choices on a personal level. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to talk about how kink and BDSM and, and some of the alternatives that we have help us to focus and be a bit more conscious. Because I'm suspicious that you're going to think similar to, to me that mm -hmm. it's because we have to talk and have to look because we're different. Mm -hmm that we actually end up being able to make better choices. Where, yeah. Whereas if you're normative, then it encourages you not to think. Being yeah, normative was, encourages you not to think. 
And I would say that happens whether the difference comes around being queer, being kinky, being poly, mm-hmm. being something that steps outside the anything you know, that steps outside the box. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we'll be back in a couple of minutes after some words from the sponsors. Cool. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Addiction can affect our relationships, our families, our home, and work lives. But most importantly, ourselves. The recovery process can do wonders in the lives of people suffering from active addiction and also for those that love them. It's not just 12-step programs, but so much more. It's learning how to live life on life's terms. If you can relate to these issues or love someone who does, start with yourself. Start by tuning in to Miracles in Recovery with host Ray Lynch, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Hope is in your corner. Are you fed up with reaching outside yourself for an inner solution? The next diet, the next few pounds to lose, the next drink, the next shopping spree. Tune in to Already Enough with host Kelly Backert. You'll hear tips about how to stop endless searching for an outward solution to an inner condition. Get helpful tools about food, body, self-care, stress management, mental health, and how to live your best life. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex. And we are on part two of C is for conscious sex. And I am with the amazing Patty. So let's we were talking about um, the kind of different levels that add into the ability to be conscious. And I want to talk about a bit about the personal level, because um, I don't it's an area that I think people think they have down pat. And what we said before the break is, is think if you you have a difference, if you have different desires in any way, that actually you've got to think things through more carefully and you have to communicate more with potential partners because there's no off-the-shelf solution. And I always think about heteronormative folk as having this really easy off-the-shelf solution. So they just kind of take down the story, whatever the script is. 
and don't necessarily think anything through, which doesn't actually serve you well if you want to have good sex. Right. I mean, it often leads to sex that's mediocre or bad because there's no talking about what turns you on or what feels good or what you want because it's assumed that the other person will know. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think, um, I think for some of us, uh, our first foray into feeling different is, you know, around sexuality for, for anyone who's realized, oh, I think I'm something other than, you know, heterosexual, other than straight. Um, and, and even if, even if after an exploration, someone's like, no, this is actually who I am. I think the first time that that, that happens, I'm not, sh- I think that's a world then you have to start to navigate an inner world. Yeah. And then when you navigate that inner world, then it's like, okay, well, now how do I meet the other gay in the village? Right. <laughs> right. To, to borrow a phrase from Little Britain there. Yeah. Um, where, There's one. <laughs> just the one. But depending on, you know, where you live, that may be harder or that may be easier. And then, and then the challenge becomes, well, what does, what does sex mean? Yes. What does sex mean? Because, um, I certainly know having worked with a lot of queer kids, it's not what they're learning in school. And right. most of us, I mean, more and more now there are kids being born into queer families, but for at least folks of like our generation and well, maybe up until like, you know, more recently, we were all born into heterosexual, heterosexual families. Yeah. Right, families. So then it becomes like, well, what does, what does sex mean? And I've even like joked around in different circles where um, I'll be hanging out with a bunch of straight guys and they're being crass or crude and they're talking about, oh, did you hit a home run? Did you hit a home run? And blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, you got to understand as like, as a dyke, like my, my home run, you would probably call like second or third base. And I'm like, because my definition of sex doesn't involve, you know, your factory pre-installed equipment. Right. I like. I have a. Cho- I have a choice of equipment here. Hey, and I also, like, there's the something rules- to be. There's something to be said for a choice of equipment. Seriously, I'm a. I just. I'm a agree. I'm a bias though. I'm biased on that one. But you know, so like, um, and maybe this is like, I think I may be slightly veering, but maybe I'm not. It's like so. If we're talking about conscious sex, we've talked about consciousness. Then I'm like, well, what is sex? Yeah. Well, no, that's part of figuring out conscious sex. What's your definition? What, what is your definition? We of go sex? back to Bill Clinton, right? Bill Clinton right. and the blowjob isn't sex. Right. And the many years of people saying, I can do this because it's not, you know, it's not transgressing because right. it's not sex. So how do you define it? Is it, is it penis and vagina penetration? Um, is it for only for procreation? What does it look like? Well, and is cyber sex sex? Is sexting sex? Yeah. It, you know, you could talk to two people and one of them says, well, it's not a big deal. I'm just sexting this person. And then the other person in the relationship is like, well, wait, actually, you just violated our relationship. And I know for me, when I'm um, negotiating uh, with someone or someone's, whether it's for like, play purposes or sex or maybe together, but we're doing something. Um, And when I teach classes to folks and I talk about negotiating, one of the 
among the many questions I say you should ask about is I said, I say you should ask, is what we're going to do involve sex or do we want to leave sex out of play? And how do you define sex? Absolutely. So for me, it's always really interesting because I like sex with my play. What does that mean? Does that necessarily mean that, uh, that I'm going to fuck or I'm going to have oral sex or what? No, it doesn't. Right. For me, it's orgasm is a part of, of play. So it might mean that there's going to be genital to genital contact at some point. Right. Or genital to other part of body contact, but it might not. But sex is definitely integrated for me into play. And for some people, they would completely separate that out. Or, or they, they're like, I'm open to separating it or not. But I've even had like scenes where I've negotiated where if one of the people can orgasm from pain, yep. then I have to ask the question, like whether that's me or whether it's the other person, like whatever the roles are, like um, I have to say like, are you okay if that happens? Yes. Because and, and- if, if you orgasm from pain or from dirty talk or from the myriad of, of ways that that could happen. Like, have we then had sex? Yes. And what does that mean? If you're not, if you're in a relationship with somebody else, what does that mean? If, right. you know, what does it mean to your definition? And all of this is around making these conscious choices that if you right. don't ask these questions, you, you can't know. And a lot of times people don't, they don't think about that it's just sort of they they think even in even when I look in kink spaces and leather spaces people make these assumptions that because I say I'm a leather slave right I'm a I'm a slave I'm a leather woman that means that if you're a leather woman we have the same idea as to what that means right and and there's no way I mean our definitions are likely to be incredibly different because each individual has their understanding but people make these assumptions based on on groups. It's like a shorthand, except the shorthand doesn't work in these situations. Right. And I know for me in, the, in my own personal life, as well as like when I teach these classes, is like I feel like my life in general has become better by learning from other kinksters about how to actually properly negotiate. Mm-hmm. Because then that idea... I think the biggest thing is to understand that you don't know anything until you ask and get it defined for you. I don't know what sex means. I don't know what play means. If someone says, oh, I want you to um, tie me up and sensory depth me. Well, I don't know what tie you up means, tie you up with what and how, for how long. I don't know what sensory depth means. I know what it means to me. I don't know what a thing means to anybody and I think, um, I think within the poly community and within the kink community, we've had, to, we've over the years developed these frameworks um, and you do it long enough and you don't need like, I sometimes send new people out there, I'm like here's the checklist of like categories to ask questions in. Um, and then that leads you to actually do that at work. I don't mean talk to <laughs> negotiate sex. No, but, but to actually ask, but, 
questions at work in a more detailed way to not assume that you Correct. know what somebody else's view is or you know what they mean when they say whatever. It, it, it spills into other areas. Ideally, it spills into other areas in a way that like th- that the fun stuff you do in like a kink or a sex way then actually blesses or benefits you know, other relationships in your life, even if they have no idea. And I guess it's like, it's almost the opposite of where we started, where I talked about the personal is political. If you can bust in my bedroom and arrest me for having sex without talking, well, then the other side of that coin is, is like my work relationships and my relationships with friends and family can become better because of the way I maybe negotiate sex and play privately absolutely and and um you know and believe it or not we're a few minutes from break again um you know this is it's really important and it's certainly something that i've experienced personally that i take that ability to ask questions that ability to negotiate that that lack of assumption into other relationships and that really makes a difference in making those better and it's there's a, a workshop that I teach, which is, you know, what kinky folk can teach ordinary folk about sex and relationships. And it's all about communication and negotiation and, um, and lack of assumptions and all the basic things that we do, we have come to learn to do because it's the only way we can get our needs met. Right. Because if you're not communicating, there's no way you, you don't even have maybe possibly your parts will fit together and it'll work because yeah. what we're desiring is so outside of that, the kind of straightforward fit slot A into slot B. Yeah. And I think for me, another part of this too is learning, not just learning to not assume, but also not assuming that I need to have all my needs met in this one way. Right. Right. And that, like, I actually don't need you, like, to step outside some of these paradigms means I'm not looking you to you to meet all of my emotional, sexual, spiritual, physical, financial needs. Um, and to be, to embrace that as a good thing and an abundance versus a deficit situation. Absolutely. And we will definitely talk about more about that because that goes into the idea of making those conscious choices around relationship style. Yeah. which is a very popular topic at the moment. Um, so we'll be back in a couple of minutes after some words from the sponsors. All right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Are you ready to live to 100? Join Dr. Joe Casciani and his program that shows us that age is just a number. You can age with fresh and inspiring perspectives, whether it's staying physically fit or keeping mentally fit. With great stories, plenty of advice about successful aging, and brighter outlooks, you just might join those who are living to 100. The Living to 100 Club is broadcast live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drloribethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex. This week, it is C is for conscious sex. And I'm with the amazing Patty. And we are talking conscious sex. Um, So, yeah, we were talking. We were kind of looking at relationship styles and some of the ways in which people can be conscious and make conscious choices. And also that really strange phenomenon of imprinting on what the heteronormative version of things looks like and just transferring it into the new realm. Mm-hmm. So you were saying in the break that, you know, you, you see sometimes see um, same-sex couples who have, like, recreated this tremendously heteronormative relationship. Yeah. And I, I mean, I wonder, you know, I mean, if I think if somebody's thought it through and that's what they want, that's great. But often they, the assumptions are not challenged that go with that. Yeah, and I think I think that – you could say that about all kinds of things. It goes back to that word conscious, right? Like when I um, think about, um, I'm going to take this into a, into a, a kink context, mm-hmm. you know, so um, I have thought a, a great deal and I've had a, a lot of conversations with a lot of people who um, are into dominance and submission and what is it, you know, to what degree I'm thinking particularly of women who identify as submissives mm-hmm. and this, their own personal struggle with like, am I replicating the patriarchy? Am I replicating yeah. misogyny? Am I replicating these systems? And then I've had conversations with um, dominant men who have had the other side of that struggle of like, what does it mean for me to want to be in this role? And I've met some very men who have been very conscious about like, I don't want to, I want, I need to be in a DS relationship. 
but I don't want to replicate misogyny. I don't want to replicate patriarchy. Like, what does it mean to be in a DS dynamic where actually everybody is exercising paradoxically maximal freedom? Yep. Well, and I mean, I, you know, being at, um, a submissive woman in a relationship with a man, um, a dominant man, um, you know, that's the thing that we've talked about quite a bit. And, and when we present on um, authority transfer power exchange, <laughs> it's fascinating being with people's responses because I am a very forthright woman and I am very dominant in the world. And they look at the situation and they go, oh, but you're the dominant one. And it's like, no, actually, I'm not. I mean, that yeah. for me, for me to surrender is a conscious act. Right. And, and that's what gets me off. And that's what's important to me. But it is a conscious act. And it's a conscious act every day. It's not, you know, right. it's, it's not something that it just happens. So, so I'm really aware that it, I'm not simply taking something that was handed down to me um, by looking at not only societal um, relationships, but, but parental relationships and, you know, relationships mm-hmm. around me because I am having to make a conscious choice, you know, and it's, it's not easy. I'm a control freak. So I'm giving, giving up control is, is that conscious choice. Yeah. And I think there's a, there's the opportunity for subversiveness here. Cause I've, you know, and I've asked myself questions along the way, like I, over my years in the community, I have, my sense of myself has shifted from like, I spent a number of years as a boy. Uh, and then I was like, mm, I feel more like a switch. And now I'm, I ex- pretty much exclusively a, a dominant top. And so I've, and, but so I'm a cisgendered woman. So I, I come with cisgender privilege. I'm white. I come with that privilege. Um, I am masculine of center. And so whether or not I want male privilege I don't get full male privilege, but as masculine of center, I, I do get more privilege than someone who's feminine of center. Mm-hmm. And so I wrestle with these things of like, well, what does it mean to accept someone's submission in a way that actually um, leaves that person stronger, more empowered, um, and that our relationship, whether that is a relationship of one evening where I leave knowing the person's first name, or whether that is my ongoing DS relationship, that everybody leaves having like fuck the system a little bit. Well, yeah. <laughs> that that moment in time it actually has subverted the dominant paradigm. And so my job is to have conversations where we make very deliberate decisions that we're going to, on the outside, it will look like a a feminine of center person is submitting to me. But in the way we do it, my hope is, is that we're actually subverting things. Well, that's, and that's really interesting. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is that, so butch identity is one of those ones that has kind of gone underground and come back and and to me is a lost beauty right because there just isn't a lot there just aren't a lot of people that identify in this way a lot of the people that um in in my cohort since i've been around a bit who um had pre were previously identifying as butch mm-hmm. or identifying as trans mm-hmm. um and 
And I'm not sure what that's about. You know, I'm not sure how much of that's individual um, and simply uh, trans has become a better is a better choice for that individual, or if there's something societally going on that that which identity is not able to to um, is not seen as as desirable. I don't know. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that's its own episode. Or I know it really is. I would, <laughs> and I've got two other two other people who identify as butch. I would invite on too. Yes. Like, well, and I think just so just real quick, a short. I mean, one thought is like, well. Um, I hear this all the time that there's like a scarcity. There's like the scarcity around around which identify people, and it's interesting because I too, like many of my cohort, have transitioned. And it, you know, some of the questions I ask myself, and it's like, okay, how do we have these conversations in ways that are authentic but don't lean into the transphobic and misogynistic yeah, absolutely. norms? The other is like, are these individuals? say in my age cohort, like 40s and 50s, where if it was a different era, that they would have transitioned yep. much earlier. And then um, I think the younger generation, speaking of subversive, like the way they're just like, we're done with the binary, everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that's kind of exciting. Um, I know who I am. Um it's, you know, like, I'm a butch dyke. I don't know what to say. Like, I'm an old school, uh, you know, this is who I am in my own skin. Um, and I guess my, my deepest hope is that for every person on the planet is to be, to, to be at home in their own skin. And, that's, and that at-homeness, and this is kind of where we started, some of that is compromised by society Yep. Our families, our communities, our faith traditions, and then our own sense of self understanding, and, so, and being able to, to, but being able to own that identity or any identity for that matter, as a conscious choice, and saying, you know, okay, I've looked, I've felt, I've experienced, I've analyzed. This is who I am, and I'm comfortable right here. Yeah. Is in the, in in itself subversive because we're not encouraged to do that. Yeah, just like we're not encouraged to, to circle us back here to conscious sex. Just like we're not encouraged to actually name our desires. Oh God, no! Right, I know. Well, and and sometimes I teach these like novice nights, and um, a couple of times I've been asked by the program staff at this one establishment where I do some stuff. They're like, oh, you know, this time around, could you do a little more? We're seeing a lot of new people in the club. Can you do a thing on consent and negotiation? I'm like, sure. And every time I do this, I think to myself, I do it particularly at a night, a women's bathhouse night, women and trans bathhouse night. And I think, who's going to show up for a talk on like consent and negotiation? People want to see the flashy, yeah, you know, the flashy skills. Every time I do one of these, man, I can't even find space on the floor for people to sit and, and I have to shove them out of the room because the women and trans people are so hungering to learn how to talk about their desires because misogyny and sex phobia have kept women from naming their desires and trans people have definitely been silenced by everybody around naming their desires. And when I talk to even, like when I talk to cis men, including straight cis men, they feel just as hemmed in 
by all these structures because they feel like, well, society's taught me as the dominant man, I'm supposed to know what I'm doing sexually. And yeah. I don't know what I'm doing either. So guess what? Turns out nobody knows what they're doing because <laughs> yeah. nobody's taught how to do this. And nobody and nobody talks about it. And the enormous uh-huh. and we're a couple of minutes from break again, believe it or not. But the enormous the enormity of shame is the thing yeah. that I see most often. And um, you know, I talk about um, on a personal level. You know, where I, where I say we're all works in progress, and I'm still a work in progress. And for me, being able to talk about like my core desires, right? We're all around humiliation fetishes and stuff, and I like to be able to actually talk about that and discuss that. I mean, that took me ten years ago, you know, and integrate it and feel fine, you know, mm-hmm. five years ago, you know, and it's it's a because there's so much negative stuff around all of these sorts of things. And certainly, I mean, as a female, I'm not supposed to, you know. Right. right? I, I'm not supposed to desire any of those things. I'm not even supposed to really desire. So uh, there's stuff around like being a slut. I made the comment recently that, you know, I'm finally allowed to be a slut and I'm surrounded by people who love me for being a slut and right. they won't judge me and they meet my needs and it's all you know, well negotiated with everybody and they love me for it. And it's like, and one of my friends was like, oh my God. And I said, you don't understand. At 15, when I hated myself because of my desires, that if I could have had this then, what I, how much healthier my whole life would have been just to have that one piece. Yeah. To not be shamed for having a lot of sexual desire because of course women are not supposed to. Right, because you're either a doormat or yep, you're either doormat or a or a slut, right? Yep. And, and I think like whether whether you're like the sickest, kinkiest of fuckers, which some of us are. Yes. Yeah. Um, we won't tell anybody. Whether it's that or whether it's like you no, know, actually your sexual desires are more like traditional. Like everybody could benefit from being able to just lay their desires on the table without shame and. Um, and be able to have mechanisms to, to talk about it. And if somebody doesn't meet a need, then to not think, well, then I either go without or I have to do things I don't want to do. Like, everybody would be, I feel like, so much better off if we could all just learn to have those conversations sometimes in the way that Kinky and Polly folks, that we've had to learn to do them in an yeah. ideal world. Because yeah. I met, I met Polly and Kinky people who are just as messy as, as ever. True enough. So we'll be back in a couple of minutes afterwards from our sponsors. We'll pick this up there. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Over 20 million people in America struggle with substance use. This impacts both the people who are using and loved ones who are trying to help. Still, there is hope. 
Tune in to the Beyond Addiction Show with host Josh King. You'll hear from experts and get the real information you need to understand and assist in change. Change can be hard. It doesn't have to be confusing. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Do you feel that you aren't at your best when it comes to your personal health? Even if your doctor gives you a clean bill of health and says everything is in working order, perhaps you aren't feeling at the top of your game. Dr. Rebecca Risk overcame pain and fatigue despite all tests to the contrary. Learn how she put her health back on track and how you can too on Falling Through the Cracks. Live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is the A to Z of sex featuring Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. We know you have questions. We welcome you to call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Feeling a bit shy? It's okay. Dr. Lori Beth loves to read your emails too. Send them to Lori Beth at drloribethbisbee.com. Now, more of the A to Z of sex. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the A to Z of sex. This is the final part of C is for conscious sex. And I'm here with Patty. And um, before the break, we were talking about in an ideal world, everybody would learn to actually talk about their desires and put them on the table without shame. In an ideal world, everybody would be greeted with with a lack of judgment by the people they spoke their desires to. You know, I know that the biggest fear that most people have is if I talk about this and sometimes, you know, we're not necessarily talking about out of the ordinary desires. People have this fear about desiring anything that if I tell a partner or somebody I care about that I want X, Y, Z or W that they're going to reject me. They're going to judge me. And that's where a lot of our shame comes in. If we are able to voice what we want in an environment where somebody won't judge us, won't belittle us, that really wipes shame away, particularly when people get excited by what you present. Yeah. You know, and, like, and the other side to that, as you were talking, that I was thinking about is like part of it's like people's fear about being judged or shamed. And I think the other side of that is people's fear that um, they will hurt the other person. Right. Meaning like, if, so even to take it out of a kinky context, you know, one person wants to say to the other person, hey, like the way you do this to me, the way you go down on me, the way you, the way we have sex. It, it's not working. It's not working. Can we do this? And people don't say that because they're afraid, oh, I'm going to hurt, I'm going to hurt their feelings. So I think part of it is we taking the risk to shed our own shame And I think part of the risk is learning to communicate in a caring, loving way, but then detaching from the other person's reaction. Yeah, well, and I, you know, I I have tons of clients where that's an issue. And it's like, it's not working. We're barely having sex because it's not working. And I want to say, if you could just do a little bit more of this, it would be so much better. 
but the person takes it as you're not good enough, you're not doing your job. Right. right. So there's that part of it. There's also, as you said before the break, you know, not everybody has to meet every single one of our needs. Now, if you are open to not consensual non-monogamy, see, to me, that's the most amazing thing on the planet is that I know that I can go out and find somebody who's going to really be into whatever it is I desire and I can get that need met and I don't have to just keep it in fantasy. If you're monogamous, you know, your options are more limited if your partner isn't into what you're into. Then you have fantasy and and masturbation and you you can still meet the need in that way. But isn't it wonderful when you have the opportunity to actually get it met interpersonally? Yeah, and and if you're willing to put in the work and do the work, because certainly to be involved in in some version of non-monogamy you know there's that's a whole level of of self-work and discovery and having to look at difficult things like jealousy and not enough buttons and um, not enough buttons are like the biggest ones we keep telling people there is some bizarre idea that everything is scarce yeah and there's just it's not but that's such a big button for so many people Mm-hmm. And your level of security, if you're going to be non-monogamous, you need to have feel sec- personally, yeah. internally secure in yourself because you're challenged immediately when somebody else is around if you don't. Yeah. So you're right. It's conscious sex to a whole, you know, a whole, a whole other level. I mean, so there's, there's the conscious sex piece around like sexuality I mean, I was I was saying before we started the show that <clears throat> there's a blogger named Andrea Zanin who I heard speak many years ago, talking about you know where the intersections between sexuality, which is the to to whom I'm kind of attracted, mm-hmm. and then there's the kinky part, which is like the things I'm attracted to, and then there's the polyamory non-monogamy, which is like how many people, like the how many. And, and all of that requires a different level of consciousness. Yes. And in our society where we're in these little boxes, you're, it's supposed to, sexuality is supposed to look like this and relationships are supposed to be lifelong monogamous and these following sexual activities are okay and these are like really weird and wrong and sick. And when you, the second you step outside of those, and I haven't met a human being yet who hasn't stepped outside one or more of those boxes. Absolutely. Yet we talk, but we talk about it like, like most people haven't. Well, and that's, that's one of the things, believe it or not, we are five minutes off close of the show, and it's one piece I want to leave people with. Yeah. We're not talking about a small section of the population is oh. stepping out of this box. Let's be really clear about this. The vast majority of the population at one or more times in their lives will step out of the societally prescribed box so actually that's the norm that is the norm and that's why i would love to see if if people even again if they're not poly they're not kinky just to take a look at how is it how how do i feel about just putting desires on the table what work do i need to do to be at that place both as as the deliverer of putting desires on the table and the receiver of someone else's of deepest desires and um, how much more chill in the world would be if, 
if we could conduct ourselves in every arena like that. Absolutely. And, and again, as you said earlier, and I think it's important is that when you really learn how to do this within this arena, it spreads. These are transferable skills, guys, and they are skills. So although we do have to do personal work to get through the emotions and all of that, it's still skills based. It's not, it's not like there's something wrong with you and you, you know, you must be fixed. These are skills. And if you don't have them, you can learn them. Absolutely. The most wonderful part about this is that they are actually open to everyone. Yeah, and that's why you teach classes. I teach classes. Well, that's why there's books being out, written out there about all these things. And again, even if it's not your jam, you know, I would encourage people to to take a look at some of these these things from some other communities as a way to even say, okay, what can I grab from this conversation around kink or polyamory that I could I could take to these other arenas? Absolutely. So if people want to find you um, and see the workshops you teach, where should they be looking? Uh, I'm on Fat Life, um, just Patty Imsel, I-M-S-L 2014 is probably the, the fastest way to get a hold of me. Cool. Um, and I don't, I don't specifically list workshops because sometimes people call me and, and we, you know, I, I customize a thing or two. Great. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope you'll come back. We can, uh, I want to talk identities one of these days. I think that would be great. Okay. Um, and thank you guys for listening again. Um, do join me next week when, believe it or not, the letter is not going to be D because normally it would be. However, um, it's we missed Z. So I did record Z is for Zoptic, and I'm going to put that in next week um, because I'm not around to do the live show. So I hope you all will enjoy it. Um, if you are um, thinking about working with me um, and just want to dip your toe in the water, I'm starting a membership group. And so if you email me, I can send you the details of that. It's a monthly membership group with a couple of live calls in the group um, environment. We'll do it over Zoom and there's a lot of resources. And it's a nice way to get to know the way in which I work. Um, and I hope you all have a wonderful week and I will see you all next time. We hope you learned something today. But if you have more questions, go ahead and email them to Lori Beth at drlorybethbisbee.com. Then be here next Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of The A to Z of Sex with Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Voice America Health and Wellness. See you next week. <laughs>